What's next? This is a question we're all having to ask and answer more frequently. I'm Jenny Blake, your host of the Pivot Podcast and author of Pivot, The Only Move That Matters Is Your Next One, which launches in September of 2016. In this podcast, I talk with peak performers to reverse engineer their most successful career pivots, interview experts on what it takes to be agile in a rapidly evolving economy, and open the kimono on what happens behind the scenes of my book and business. You can learn to capitalize on risk, fear, and uncertainty as the doorways of opportunity. My promise is that you will leave every episode with practical tips, tools, and tactics. For show notes from this episode, visit jennyblake.me slash podcast. If change is the only constant, then let's get better at it. Here we go. Hello, everyone. I am ridiculously excited today to have one of my favorite authors, Penny Pierce, whose books changed my life and then changed it again. I have reread her books more than once because of the impact they had on me the first time around. And every time I pick one up, I learn something new and I integrate something new. The topic of today's podcast is intuition, which you all know is something I love discussing as it relates to pivots large and small. Penny is a respected and gifted intuitive empath with deep psychological understanding, visionary ability, and business sense. She used to be in the world of graphic design and advertising and pivoted herself into doing intuitive readings and has been working since 1977 with organizations like the San Francisco-based Center for Applied Intuition, the Institute for the Study of Conscious Evolution, and the Intuition Network. She has written eight books, and the three that changed my life started with The Intuitive Way, and then I went down a Penny Pierce rabbit hole, reading rabbit hole, <laughs> and read everything she had ever written as soon as I finished The Intuitive Way. So the next two in the kind of trilogy that she put together are, are called Frequency and Leap of Perception. And Penny also wrote a book on uh, dreaming and how to have more conscious dreams and remember dreams. So I'm just beyond thrilled. Penny, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us what inspired you to learn more about intuition and eventually write a book about it. It started very early for me in gosh, maybe the early years of high school, where I was very fascinated by mysteries and psychic phenomena. I think maybe even it started before that because my mother told me that she believed in reincarnation at, when I was very, very young. And that got me thinking, well, of course we have other lives. <laughs> when I was like six or whatever. Um, but yeah, no, it was a gradual development where I just kept reading and reading like so many people do. And then didn't think I had any abilities until I got, gosh, out to California. And I was in my 20s, I guess, at that point. And had uh, one of the very first readings where it was like a life reading. It really was not a psychic fortune teller type thing, but it was where someone looked at your character and your past lives and this huge pattern of what was going on in you. And it was so fascinating that I just was like, mesmerized. And um, that got me going. And up until that point, I had been a designer, an interior design, graphic design. I was a corporate art director. And uh, 
you have to be intuitive, I think, to do to do that kind of thing to make a logo for someone, for instance, you know. And um, so I had my intuition open, but when I started doing readings and looking at people's lives, it was like a huge design problem, and putting together all these internal facets of how things worked. So intuition was the main vehicle for not only accessing the information, but also um, assembling it, you know, and synthesizing it and making a meaning out of it. So I think it just came along naturally. And then I started doing intuition trainings with um, Kevin Ryerson, who was, I don't know if you know, he's a trans medium. And we had a very interesting synchronous sort of karmic connection and started working together. And, um, you know, he was the one who worked with Shirley MacLaine and Out on a Limb. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, uh, just one thing led to another, to another, to another. And it was like once I got on this path of um, working with the inner worlds and and this metaphysical principles, it was like an extension of the design work that I had done in the business world. So that's a long answer, but... Um, Eventually, the book came out of the trainings. The first book came out of the trainings. How did you develop your intuition in those early days as it related to either your own life or intuitive readings for others? Believe it or not, I took a class or a series of classes on um, clairvoyance development. You know, in Northern California at that time, it was the whole human potential movement was just getting going and there were classes in everything and when I found out you could actually study clairvoyance development some light bulb went off in my head (laughs) and I um I went and I had to interview to get in to the class and the woman um just she kind of took one look at me and said okay come on in and and I and then I found out that I had uh abilities I didn't I didn't realize that I had especially strong abilities with dreaming. And um, I had this kind of visionary teaching dreams that I thought were just ordinary dreams. I I didn't know how to discriminate anything. So the the studies started off with meditation and visualization exercises and getting symbols to go with a feeling state and uh, working with the chakras and balancing them out and opening them and really working, I think, on the energy body, you know, which was, you know, the internal state of our own system, I guess. And, um, and then learning to really trust what I got mm. and act on it. And it's just, it's an ongoing process of now, I, I think of it as sort of a mindfulness practice, but not a meditation type thing. It's more like I, I like to work with what I call the inner perceiver. Mm-hmm which is this function of our own consciousness that helps us notice what we notice. So um, if I notice some odd omen or anything, really, I I think, well, why am I seeing this? Am I trying to get something through to myself, some message? What's going on here? And then I get an answer. As soon as I ask, an answer pops in. And then I trust that. So I process a lot in a very quick present moment kind of way throughout the day and then also with my dreams Mm. that's what I loved about the intuitive way 
is you really say this is a muscle and a skill and we all have it. And maybe people have different gifts in terms of clairvoyance, clairsentience, different ways that they pick up information. But that at the most basic level, the message of the intuitive way is, hey, if you start paying attention to your intuition and to coincidences and signs that you happen to that catch your attention or a music lyric that jumps out and start writing these down and observing them, your intuition will grow. And just by noticing it, having that inner perceiver and paying it some attention, whereas I think so many of us are, go through our busy lives and we, we don't really listen to it until it's a raging gut signal, right. <laughs> you know, of like right. danger, imminent danger. <laughs> right. In fact, I think in the intuitive way, I have this, this um, diagram that talks about the, the sensitivity scale, you know, and how early do you notice something? You know, sometimes you can, if you're really sensitive, you notice it when it's just kind of the heebie-jeebies or, you know, right. uh, some, some very subtle contraction or expansion in your body that is like a truth signal or an anxiety signal. And if you can catch it that early, you'll, you'll never have stress. Hmm. What is the difference between gut instinct and intuition? Well, I think almost all intuition really comes to us through the body. But gut instinct is often in the lower chakras, you know, where you're from the the third chakra in the solar plexus down into the belly. You know, the Japanese would call it the hara. Um, And because the body picks up vibrations from the field around it constantly, knows all kinds of information, even about coming events. So... The, and then that energy travels up the spine like kundalini and comes into the reptile brain at the back of the neck first. And if you catch it there, you'll you'll have that usually that sort of attraction repulsion, you know, binary sort of signal where I'm a, I'm drawn toward it or I'm repelled away from it or I feel heavy or I feel light, those kinds of things. And if you don't notice it there, it comes up into the midbrain where it becomes much more relational and sensory. And you notice the little voice, the vibration, the, you know, the, the, all those kinds of sensory cues. And then after that, it comes up into the upper part of the brain and becomes a pattern of knowing or a, a very fleshed out sort of huge insight or vision. So um, instinct is the early stage, basically. Got it. Yeah, I find it interesting. Maybe five, ten years ago, I mean, similar to you, I grew up in the Bay Area, and I just remember being fascinated by human potential. And when I first got into coaching and reading about personal development, I remember thinking, I don't think we're tapping into even half of the intelligence available to us, that the human brain and our body has so much capacity for intelligence and that by only paying attention to the mind or the left brain, we miss a lot. And in the last few years, and thanks to your books, the more I pay attention to intuition on the subtle levels uh, before it gets to the raging kind of screaming gut or body signal, that actually it can guide everything about the day. I mean, it can guide things at such a level, and I think you call it the flow that life becomes fun, if not entertaining, because of how much intuitive and direct knowing can be present. It is very entertaining, yeah. And I remember, too, in my early years thinking, 
what do you mean we only, you know, use 5% of our brain? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> that stat, exactly. It, the rest yes. of it. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I wanted to know about that. Um, th- yeah, I, I think that intuition, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because it connects us with the world around us. You know, it's a very connective, relational you know, it doesn't function if you don't see similarities. When you see differences, you're not, you're in the left brain. When you see similarities, you're moving to the right brain and the field around you, and you start to see the unity. And when you start to see the unity, then the next thing is you start to feel the bigger sense of your own self, which means that you move into larger and larger sort of um, inclusion of more and more of life into yourself, which is like a big ball, Mm. you know, and the ball goes out and includes more and more and more and more, you know, of the totality. And you start to think, oh, my gosh, I'm a pretty big situation. (laughs) You know, I am, I know a lot. There's, I know all kinds of people. They're already in me. And then you start feeling like you're part of a collective consciousness, which is another level of the big self. And you have all that knowledge. And pretty soon, it's like you're returning to your roots, your home, your true home in spirit. And to me, spirit is not so much a religious thing, but it's more the way consciousness and energy function at higher frequency levels. You know, it's where we come from. And when you start to visit that place, it's so joyful right. because everything is effortless and immediate. And, and, and supportive, really. Everything supports everything else and evolves together. So when you start to get a glimpse of that or a, a little bit of a felt state of that, oh, my gosh, you know, you go, oh, I really love life. <laughs> you know, that's what you get to. Get to. Right. Yeah, I, it was funny. You'll smile at this, as I did this morning when I was preparing for this interview. I was flipping through all your books. For those of you, you can't see me, but I have about 100 post-its splayed all over all of Penny's books <laughs> from reading them these last few years. And so this morning, I crack open Leap of Perception, and it's exactly on the page of Start With Intuition, and it defines intuition. So I just want to read a couple <laughs> of these because they're so great. You say, when you're supposed to know something, the knowledge just shows up. You discover that life responds most rapidly and accurately to love and compassion. Then you say, intuition registers in one segment of your awareness at a time, your hearing or vision or tactile sensitivity, whereas direct knowing in comparison is a heightened intuition. And you also say, intuition is non-linear, non-fragmented, and fluidly spontaneous. It opens naturally the minute you shift attention from your left to your right brain. And so that's a couple different concepts, but to what you just said, my meditation practice has helped, but just overall... There is a real sense of joy and also uh, safety and security. I love this idea that you shared of when you're supposed to know something, your intuition will let you know. And I've learned to really trust that. So now I feel so much more calm throughout the day and my life because I know how to listen to my intuition. And so I trust that, you know, and you kind of say this, intuition has us on a need-to-know basis. (laughs) Right. Like it doesn't really give you too much very far in advance, but you can kind of trust that it will show up when it's meant to. Right. And it won't be too late either because that's the universe is very efficient. It, yeah. That would be inefficient. You know, it doesn't <laughs> work that way. Why, why, why waste energy, you know, with too early, too late? That wouldn't work. 
So if you just relax, you know, it's um, things become so smooth and I mean, just kind of just right. Right. It's really amazing. One of the other mind blowing concepts from your book is that the question and answer appear in the same moment. Maybe you can phrase that better, but that <laughs> yeah. by the time we're even asking a question that we would like intuitive guidance on, the answer is embedded within it. it to me, it's almost like the, the answer makes the question appear oh, so that so it can cool. become conscious. You know, that's it's fascinating. Like, yeah, and... and so that's one of the things we want to pay attention to with the inner perceiver, right? You know, what are the questions that are appearing to me? You know, ask them so that I can get the answer that's poking at me, you know, that's trying to get through. Right. I find it so interesting, yes, to frame up, you know, some days meditation is about letting go and releasing, but other days I will cue up a question and see what comes in. And is there any direct knowing to be had here? Um mm-hmm. It's the way I taught myself a lot of what I know, which is sounds, as I said that, it sounded egotistical, but really I think we all have a kind of inner master teacher inside of us that, that prompts us for things. But I used to do a thing with a journal because I always kept a journal. Um, and I would just think of questions like, well, what is prayer, you know, or what is healing? And, and then I would do direct writing where not automatic writing, but I would start with maybe saying my own name and writing it down and then imagining that some, you know, wise group or my own soul or something would be coming in to help talk to me. And, and then it would just start writing. And I would just take the words down as they popped into my head. And I would get these amazing descriptions of things that had a lot of insights. And um, so I dialoguing with that inner inner voice, inner teacher, inner whatever it is, <laughs> you know, has been a, a strong habit for me. And I, I do it when I write as well now. You know, I often don't know exactly what's going to be written in the books. And I just say, okay, all you writers in the sky, come on, let's get together and just <laughs> do something here. And, uh, you know, and then often things come in that I hadn't expected at all. That's so fascinating. I know, I think, as you said, with your design work, for, I, I feel the same way about writing. And I think many creative projects get done with some help. <laughs> you know, whether yeah. someone wants to call it the muse or their counsel or I'm not sure, you know, different creatives feel, feel different ways. But uh, I, I talk to my book all the time. <laughs> like, what do you want? What do you need? I try to picture my book with with wings, and when I was in the editing process, I would, I would see it kind of weighted down, and so I would try and ask, like, what do you need to fly? What do you need to be free? Um, yes. Now, I lost a little bit of the conversation there, but I picked it up right at the end, so I think we're, we're good here. I got the idea here yeah. that you were talking about. Well, uh, I want to go back. Um, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Going back to the question and answer arriving in tandem, or rather the answer maybe even pushing the question to our consciousness, a lot of this podcast is about change and dealing with the change process. And I think what's challenging for people is sometimes when fear is involved because it's career change or maybe even relationship change, um, sometimes it's hard to trust intuition. And it's almost at the same moment that there's an intuitive hit, there's a, the fear rushes in. 
So do you have any advice for people who are mm. navigating a, a big pivot or change? Yeah. See, I think we have to back up a little and understand what's going on in the process today, which is that as the energy frequency on the planet is increasing, that means that the fear that we used to be able to avoid and store down in the subconscious is actually coming up and surfacing now because there's no place for it to live anymore. It's too low of a vibration. So it comes up into the conscious mind. And I think that the left brain is very oriented toward fear, toward protecting us and you know categorizing information and making rules so that we'll be safe and all that. And so as we start to respond to the higher vibration on the planet, which means that we actually embrace not only change but transformation, which which really is what leap of perception is about. It's about that our whole way of perceiving the world is changing from linear to a kind of spherical, holographic, present moment-oriented way of being in the world. And the old structures that are based on linear perception, like A, B, C, past, present, future, they're not working really anymore. They're starting to fail. And we sense this that there's something else coming, but we don't have a, a sense of how it works or what it is, and it, it still seems in the dark. But yet we want it. We don't want the old, slow, sticky, heavy, domination-oriented you know, uh, way of being. And so the changes are now starting to happen because actually we are rising to a higher frequency inside ourselves than the organizations or the institutions that we're trying to live within. And as does that, you say, does that make sense? Yeah, as as you call it, moving from the information age into the intuition age. That's it, and and that means a whole different way of really everything will work differently. It's it's um, when things are in the present moment, you have instantaneous repercussions or results. You want to materialize something, you can bring it in very fast. Now it's not a matter of put your dues in and do it blah 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 over time. Um, you can go into the present moment, change your vibration and frequency, and you know pretty much be in a new reality. So when going back to just these changes that everybody seems to be going through now, of you know relationships that have you know outlived their original focus, you know it's like we get together with someone and we have an internal agreement about how we're going to act and your role will be this and my role will be this and okay, great, let's get married, you know. <laughs> and and then after a few years, one of the people starts to grow spiritually into this new consciousness and the other one is still in the old reality. So the inner pattern that used to work is no longer the same, but the outer form is trying to stay the same. And so there's a kind of stress between what I call the inner energy blueprint of that, that relationship and the outer form of it. So either one person has to welcome growth and change and evolution and open up more, or they separate, you know, or become, say, well, we're really just friends now, you know, so let's tell the truth about what we are and let it shift into that. So really the changes are often about this mismatch of frequencies between the internal pattern and the external result. And the same thing with jobs. You know, people outgrow their job and their the company culture sometimes, you know, the old old ways 
are just too restrictive. And so that's what I'm seeing a lot of, and I'm hearing everybody complaining about being stuck. <laughs> no. Right, right. Oh, there, I, first of all, I could talk to you about this for hours and days and months. <laughs> so I'm trying to contain yeah. my questions. But there's a lot to talk about on the subject of frequency and from that book. Uh, so a couple things. But first, let's start with one thing I thought that was so comforting was you talked about the cycles of transformation and how it is quite stressful there while we are shifting into this new kind of a higher frequency or level of consciousness, but also the natural wave, the natural ebb and flow. So maybe for creatives or entrepreneurs, they're not in a job they don't like, but they're in a kind of the receding part of the wave where they're done creating something and it can be really scary and uncomfortable not to know what's next. And yes. I thought you described that very natural flow uh, really well. So maybe you could yes. speak to that a little bit. Yeah, there is a creative a creation cycle, I think I call it. Um, you know, and, and it goes through, a, you know, from inspiration where you're, you've been in the void and you're all filled up with a new imagination and a new kind of inner blueprint that you're, or a vision that you want to materialize. And that energy comes in and it's full. It's like spring fever, you know, and you're getting it together and you bring it into the mind and you start to drop it into the left brain and make a plan you know, and get, get it going. And then you do the physical work on it and da, 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 and it manifests. And then at that point, the left brain has been very active during that materialization process. So it's feels like it's the boss at that point. And as it looks at the unknown, it's like, no, 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 I'm not going there. You know, that would be death. So it back, backs up and goes back to the old pattern and tries to do more of it or do it differently or something. But it does not want to stop and let go because that would be ego death. So what has to happen is that we have to realize consciously that at the point where we have finished materializing something, that that's a good feeling also. That's like satisfaction. Hey, get into that state instead of resisting it. Just say, Ah, that feels so good, you know, and um, I'm, I'm really happy that I created this. And now, let me just be still for a minute and see if there's something new. And just be quiet, because at that point, you have to go to the right brain. And the right brain doesn't have language. You know, it's just about being with the field, entering the field, going back into the imaginal realm where all possibilities exist, and allowing that magical flow to start presenting you with ideas and new enthusiasms so that it connects you once again with the being state, with that spirit state. And as you just let go of doing and willing and having and, you know, all of that, you, you are there. You know, it's like as soon as you stop trying and using your left brain, you're in intuition. Right. And so it is the intuition state that, that connects you to the creative cycle right at the end of something. So it's not, you know, a lot of people, when they finish materializing something, they start to think, I'm wrong. This, I, I did something wrong. Why isn't the next mm-hmm. thing right here? You know, and at that point, that's a bad habit. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, know, you, know right. you have to start to say, hey, wait a minute. I did a good job. I materialized the thing that I set out to do 
whatever, several years ago or what, whenever it was, and I'm successful at this. This is great. Ah, and let me take a little pleasure in that. See, and then that returns you to the, the being state, which is where all the new ideas actually are. But you can't get there with willpower. Right. Right? You can't get there by cleverness and thinking it and making it happen because it won't, it's like you push it away. So by stopping and getting quiet, silence, you know, maybe it's meditation, maybe it's a walk in the woods or a kayak trip or whatever, you um, allow, or shower, you know, everybody gets good (laughs) ideas in the shower. Um, You allow that other part of your consciousness to start to show up. Yeah, and that's, creatives start to learn that, you know, they they use that, um, you could call it downtime, but I think it's really sort of an uptime where you're getting re-inspired, you know. um, So true. Very productively. Right. And it's, um, it's interesting how I've learned, I don't really get to dictate how long that phase is going to last. I could try and muscle through it, but that doesn't tend to work for me. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's a week where I need to feel like a vegetable, but I'm reading and learning and getting inspired, just as you said, but I'm kind of like worthless in my, in my work. <laughs> or my yes. Business. Yes. And sometimes it's a month and, and you know, both last year and this year, it has felt like lasting two or three months, but I'm just learning not to freak out about it and let it be there. But it, um, in the beginning, I think taking that time for retreat and space, it can be scary. Like, when is this going to end? Am I suddenly a lazy person? You know, right. like what's going on? You know, and on? part of that is because we, the left brain is still in there going, well, we should be doing this. You know, this, the way the process works, it should just go on to the next, you know, better thing and it should increase and I should blah, 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 blah. And, um, I think maybe, you know, there are reasons why the, the, um, liminal space time lasts as it does. And, you know, liminal space is that threshold time before the change and after the change right there in that, that, um, non-formed time where there's an art form to that, you know, where you find enjoyment anyway. That's the main thing is just find enjoyment because that's the thing that's going to create the next best cycle of creativity for you. And what I do in those times is just look at small things. You know, I, I get involved with looking into objects and plants and you know, feeling connection with the air, and you know, just simple things that are... Uh, I don't know, connective, I guess, but also um, let me feel a sense of pleasure. And and uh, there's no need for ambition. The things will come. Well, you see, when you stop trying to make things happen, they just happen anyway. <laughs> right. Yes. Actually, <laughs> on that note, we talked about this privately, but can you share your thoughts on the difference between say, the law of attraction and, and creating, as Tasha Silver calls it, a grocery list for God <laughs> uh, versus a more intuitive approach of right. leaning into the flow. Where, what's your take on all this? Um, well, I, I love the, the law of attraction material, but I don't like the title because it gives people a subconscious idea that you're, you have an outside world and you have to attract with willpower and magnetism this thing that you want. Whereas what really happens is that it's, it is a very much about frequency. And as you 
move your own personal vibration out of fear and worry and, and criticism and the lower kinds of frequencies where you block the flow. And anytime you block the flow with contraction, of course, your, your frequency goes down. If you open up the flow and trust, it goes up. And what, so when you open like that and you start to feel joyful or trusting and that like you're welcoming surprise and you know that the whole universe and the flow is going to bring you the next best thing that's just right for you and it'll be your favorite thing. <laughs> and yeah. so you, you kind of have to get into that state, I think, first. And then what happens is your, your body, your emotions, your mind, they all go into what I call the home frequency state, which is kind of like the soul in the body. And then the next thing that happens is the field around you goes into that frequency. And then that acts like a set of instructions to the unified field out beyond you. So that whatever is going to materialize has to come out of that frequency. So it's not the law of attraction. I call it the law of emergence because things just seem to show up. You're not trying to get them. All you're doing is saying, here's the way I like to feel. You know, I don't really want to be in worry. I don't really want to be um, ahead of myself, you know, or in the past. I want to be right now on the leading edge of what's arising. And um, as you do that, then... It's like this creative process almost does it itself. You don't have to try to make anything happen. Right. I love what you said about surprise. I feel the same way. The more I ditch my grocery list of requests yeah. and say, hey, surprise me, you know, and like you said, feeling good. And then they were, you know, it, it, the cycle feeds itself because by saying surprise me, whether it's who I'm going to meet or when, or what's going to happen in my business, the surprises are delightful. I mean, it's way more creative than I could ever mm -hmm. come up with on my own. Uh, you know, and then again, you know, part of that process is that something does arise. Yes. You do get like, I get an idea for a new book. Oh, I think I'll write about this next. Right. And then at that point, I put my attention on the idea, or maybe say I'm ready for a relationship now, and I really feel like I really am. So I don't have to go and do all this, you know, willful work to find it. But right. the thing is there, and I'm going to put that in my field, you know, like a seed. And I'm going to say, yeah, I'm ready. So I'm, um, I'm ready to have something that matches me. Or here's the idea I want to write about, and I'm ready for that to start to come in. And I'm going to focus on that, not control it, but I'm going to keep that right in kind of my intimate part of my field. And I'm going to love that idea. I'm going to have a relationship with that idea. And if I love it, it loves me. Mm -hmm. That's the way it works. Mm -hmm. You know, if I want a new computer and I say, I love my new computer, well, it's going to love me and it'll come to me. It'll show up. Um, and so that's the way material and ideas and all kinds of opportunities come by really just keeping attention on them and not willing them and not using intention because that's futurizing and that's willpower. Mm -hmm. But attention is just being with something in the moment and loving it, noticing it, and forming a kind of communion connection with it. And as you do, it comes, comes into your field. Right. You've mentioned returning to our home frequency or shifting one's frequency 
and also the inner blueprint. If someone does feel kind of out of sorts or out of alignment or stressed, how, how do, how can they shift back into their home frequency? And what is that? Um, first I would say there's probably a really good reason why you feel stressed. So get quiet and see what was the cause of that. Very often, and that's a question you ask that has an answer already prompting you, right? Right, there <laughs> you, know, you go. So, um, so, you know, oh, it reminds me of a time when my father yelled at me or um, I thought I was going to be rejected or I was sent to my room or whatever, you know. Uh, or um, it's usually some very deep emotional thing that causes you to go into fear and get tight and contract and say, okay, fine, interesting. And then you go, but wait a minute, let me feel my body. It's very contracted right now. And I'm projecting a, an anticipated future into my present moment. So I'm thinking about stuff that doesn't exist right now instead of the way I really want to feel. So the fear has gotten you to go into a contracted state, which got you into your left brain, which is now projecting things from the past onto the future. And you can't be in the present moment. As soon as you realize that, then you can take a breath and say, okay, wait a minute, suspend, pull my attention out of that. That's boring. I don't really like it. Uh, I'm just going to come back into my body, into the moment, notice what's around me and say, wait a minute, I can access the imaginal realm and do whatever I want. You know, and I don't have to feel, you know, a low vibration if I don't want to. Nobody can make me. You know, and so it may be that you have to th kind of think your way out of it a bit like that. But then that, that becomes more second nature. And you, you refuse to go into contracted states as you, the more you practice that. And there's a real sense of personal responsibility, too. One of, my, one of the lines that has truly changed my life, it's only a problem because you're noticing it as such. <laughs> and, you know, I've read a trillion, okay, maybe not a trillion, but self-help books in my life. But some, for some reason, when I read it in your books in the context of intuition and frequency, now when I, when someone else is a problem or they've done something that bugs me, my first question is, why am I noticing this? And that's <laughs> thanks to you. And it's been this most fascinating inquiry. And then, oh, I can dissolve my energetic attachment here. And not always. Sometimes it, it means I need to have a tough conversation. But a lot of times I can kind of dissolve, dissolve my energy charge um, without the other person having to do anything. Just That's because right. I'm, I'm wondering what I notice. So, so maybe you could speak a little bit to mm -hmm. that noticing of the problem. Thing. Yeah. Um, well, I think part of it is you can dissolve it, but it would really be deeper to notice that the thing that upsets you about that person is also in you in some way. It may be a different way or in a different area, but there may be a similar belief that caused that person to act, you know, in a, what, a, a controlling way or a narcissistic way or whatever it is that they've done. And that belief that's underneath that is that they feel alone, maybe, you know, and that they need to control the environment so they will feel secure and safe. And there may be a, a point in you where there's a certain kind of thing, too, like maybe you want needed agreement in order to feel secure and safe. You know, you needed people, not you particularly, but, you know, just this is something we do. Um, 
that I want people to agree with me so that I can feel um, loved or be able to be creative or not feel uh, abandoned, rejected, and possibly annihilated (laughs) by life. Um, uh, Yeah, so have a look and see how that thing is in you in a different way and then say, oh, I don't need to be afraid of that in my own life, right? That's silly. It's not something I do anymore because I'm eternal, right? I am everywhere, and that person is in me, and I know that I am the soul. I know that I am made of light, and I have lots of love. I don't need to get any more love. I have plenty. You know, that's all I am anyway. So I'm going to include that person in my field and allow them to just feel accepted because the really the thing they want is to feel loved. So why not give it to them? But in that deeper way and not the game they're playing to try to medicate their situation of, you know, wounding, but the real deep way of truly holding them and accepting them. And what happens when you do that at that deep level is like people will change very quickly and it's like they hardly even remember that they were doing the other thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's quite amazing. Right. And sometimes that's, I love what you just said. And sometimes it's, oh, this person's irritating me because I have not set boundaries or I'm not speaking up or I'm not being clear. And, and it's just interesting to take responsibility because this person can't read our mind, <laughs> you know, or the situation, <laughs> a, a boss, a partner. And so um, I think, yeah, I think it's so interesting to just look at, as you said, the, um, seeing the similarities and Mm -hmm. also seeing what it's trying to bring to our own attention about ourselves. Right. You heal it in yourself and you heal it in the field, Mm -hmm. in the field, in the whole thing, you know, and that you brought up the term boundaries, which is an interesting thing. I think that when we think of that, again, it's something that we put around ourselves like a shield to keep out something. Mm. And, And that, kind of fosters the idea that there's an outside world that's inimical or bigger than us and that we have to protect ourselves from. But in the new way of perceiving, there are no boundaries between anything. It's one big unified field, and you occupy a certain amount of it at any given moment, a certain frequency of it at any given moment, and that forms your reality. But you could instantly change it to anything else you want. So really, there's no fixed boundary anywhere. And if you notice something, it's inside your ball, Mm. or you wouldn't notice it. And if you're going to notice more, then your ball just gets bigger, and then you notice it. And and that, I don't know what regulates that, (laughs) but but I think that we don't have to set boundaries so much anymore as to have a, a sense of being centered and the feeling of our own home frequency, and that we live in that, and we return to that constantly. And if something... You know, because we're very, what would you say, we frequency match all the time. We're mm-hmm. very um, telepathic and and vibrational. And, you know, when you're around something, you'll end up matching it and becoming the same vibration as that. And that's a way of gathering data, actually, energy information. You You change your frequency and match something, and then you know what it's like to be that thing. But then if you stay there, then you'll feel drained. So if you match the vibration of a, a victim, let's say, someone who's in a victim consciousness, 
or even resist it, then you're still matching it. So then you're stuck at that level, which is not your own level, and then you feel upset, mm. like you're sacrificing yourself. But they're not doing it to you. Right. You're, you're doing it. Right. Right? So all you have to do is notice that, hey, I just got a lot of information about this person, and I understand how it is to feel like a victim. And now I'll come back to my own center, reestablish my home frequency, which is where I live, and then include them in my ball and have my, my frequency be around them and let them feel it if they want to. Mm. And then maybe they'll decide to change their vibration on their own, not me doing it for them. Right. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, it's like energy drain and overwhelm and being afraid of empathy. Uh, all of those things are coming up for people now because we are opening up and losing boundaries. But we don't need boundaries if you have a strong center. Mm. That's a really interesting distinction, and I was just going to ask that very question. So (laughs) I'm glad you answered it, which is that uh, often I think uh, some some people, if they feel intuitive or empathic, I used to feel like an energy sponge. I became a sponge for whoever was around me, and because I was pretty intuitive about reading body language and facial expressions, I knew immediately if someone was the slightest bit upset or sad and I would try and fix it, you know, I mean, it's like <laughs> right. my codependent side and I would try and make it better. I would take it personally and want to make it better. And that just became exhausting to have to notice <laughs> at that level. And so yes. I love what you're saying about centering rather than trying to have rigid boundaries, which um, may just create more resistance. And, and the other part of that is that you can ask yourself, your inner perceiver, say, hey, I don't need to notice everything. <laughs> yes. You know, uh, just let me notice what I need to know, you know, for my own growth. Or if someone really, really needs something, I'll notice it and then help me know what I should do. Or, yeah. And that'll always be, what do I want to do? Right. You know, and sometimes with friends who've gotten into problems and stop communicating or something, it's easy to take offense for inst- I'm just making this an example. Sure. And, and, but at some point, maybe you just send them a note and say, I've been thinking about you and i just been f- feeling like something's going on. I, I hope you're okay. Do you want to talk? Or mm-hmm. just something where you're acknowledging the fact that you did pick up information about them. Right. And some tactful way that you can check in with them, you know, um, right. use the information basically. Yeah, I like that. That's something we I learn as a coach sometimes, and I've sent that to friends as well when I felt something was off. But my my line is, "Call me crazy, but I just got to hit that this, or I just have a feeling something mm-hmm. is off, and maybe I don't have any more specific thoughts beyond that." Right. But at least to put it out there. Yeah, I think that's important. And if you dream about someone, I always yes. call them and tell them. You know. Yes. I don't know if, if this makes any sense to you, but here I had this dream about you and. Because um, sometimes it's it's important information, and they know what it means. Yeah, I had a friend. I dreamt about this person's situation twice in one night in great detail, and mm. in the morning I was like, "I hope this doesn't offend you, but I'm just going to go ahead and transcribe what came from my dream and uh, take it or leave it." But I, I can't not send it because it was just on my mind all night long. It was so crazy. Yeah, and that helps complete the intuition actually as well. When you make it conscious by bringing it into the left brain 
and describing it or saying it with language. Mm. You know, put it in your journal, say it to a friend, put it on a tape recorder, whatever. Um, helps make it conscious. And that's kind of what you talk about with dream remembering dreams is that I think you say by having a dream journal and, and just writing them down, we'll actually remember more of our dreams. Right. And even if you can't remember a dream, write something down anyway. You know, it's like priming the, the oh, pump, you know, um, <laughs> make something up or write down the first thing that you notice or think in the morning. Oh, okay. I got to do that. <laughs> that tricks the subconscious says, okay, I guess she means it. You know, I guess right. we'll start to bring her the regular stuff then. Right. Oh my gosh. So much to talk about on dreaming as well. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, it's a, such a fascinating subject. We can do another talk on that yeah, if you want. <laughs> that would be amazing. That'd be Because I, yes, we, we may have to do that because here are eight hours a night where our subconscious is like, gets to do its thing. And I find that absolutely fascinating. Well, I call it in my, um, you know, Be the Dreamer, Not the Dream book. Yes. The subtitle is um, 24, A Guide to 24-Hour Consciousness. Because yeah. really, we're not gone at night. We're like even more conscious than we are during the day. And we're working on our growth process, you know, all the time. We're evolving. So a lot of times we're working out blockages in dreams or we're accessing information in dreams. It's, you know, we're pretty busy. Right, right. <laughs> I know. Talk about our potential and, and our capacity. I feel like so much of what you talk about in that book is like, what do you want to focus on in your dreams? And, and like, what creative projects would you like guidance on? And where do you want to travel? And, you know, just to even <laughs> ask those questions. I mean, up till now, I never, I never put intention into my dreams. And uh, it's very interesting to sort of have a dialogue. And even before bed now, you know, I learned this from you where it's like, okay, in the morning, help me remember what's important yes. from my dreams or things yes. like that. Yeah. Um, oh you know, and then you start doing that and you realize that you're kind of even daydreams or when you space out and, you know, that you're constantly accessing those realms. But because we have a belief system about the physical world is that it's just you know, left brain consciousness, that we don't really um, enjoy it as much, maybe, or remember it as much of what we're actually doing. Right. And I'd like us to become really conscious that, and maybe this is what I think is happening in the world today, especially with people on a spiritual path, is that our understanding of the physical and non-physical realms were, are becoming equal. You know, that the non-physical creates that inner blueprint which then creates the physical, and you change the inner blueprint, and the physical changes immediately now. And they are very, not just separate, but they are more and more merged, because, of course, they are merged. It's um, a, like a fraction of a millisecond where you blink back and forth between the imaginal and the physical, and it's constantly oscillating. So, um, you know, it's, it's like there is no other side you know, when people die, they're there, you know, they, yeah. everything's there. Uh, it's all available. It's all accessible. And, and really that gives you a sense of no limitation and no loss. Right. Well, and that's what you said to me the other day that I was saying, oh, I'm going inward and I'm doing these long meditations. <laughs> and you were like, okay, great. And consider that uh, you don't always have to go so far inward. It's actually can kind of shift in and out. And that's, 
that's been my latest uh, just <laughs> practice and question because that's a really fascinating thing. And for anyone listening, it's like, no, you don't have to meditate eight hours a day in order to tap into this and kind of shift back and forth. And, and Penny, you're the one that brought that up for me. And so it was really, it's really cool to consider mm. that. Yeah, I mean, I, I watch language a lot because <clears throat> we're working with um, creating a new set of, what would you call it, like guidelines or imageries about the the non-linear and spherical reality. So going inward means that there's an outside, and we still are having that sort of sense of separation. So we're trying to create, I'm trying to create words and language that's talking about unity so that really there's no in and out it's all merged so the physical non-physical is in the same space in a parallel frequency Mm -hmm. right so you don't have to go anywhere (laughs) right you know if we think about this right go out go up go down go in go whatever but it's just stay where you are you're already in the center and just change your frequency, and you'll be aware of light. Shift it back, you'll be aware of form. Mm-hmm. And it's right, ding, ding, ding. You know, it's right there. I love it. So <laughs> as we start to wrap up, do you have anything we didn't talk about for someone who wants to develop their intuition muscle? Any homework assignments that you want to give? I think that it, you can practice it with very mundane, innocuous things like, um, you know, n- noticing what you really, what your body wants to eat, uh, what your mind wants to eat and you should eat and what your body actually wants to eat. Or when you start to feel that sense of it's time to leave so I can be on time for an appointment. Or how do, how do you know sut- subtle things about other people? Hmm or about how timing works or anything. Just start paying attention to those subtle kinds of things. And, and then validate yourself a lot. Hey, that worked. I asked to know about this, and I got the information. It's simple stuff, but do it a lot. You know, make it a part of your day. You know, right. that's, that's, I mean, sometimes the simplest things really are the best. Yeah, if you make it real grandiose, like I'm going to levitate my salt shaker. Um, you know, that's going to take a while. Yes, one of the things that helped me the most from the intuitive way was keeping a coincidence journal and an intuition journal. Oh yeah. And for two weeks, I just noticed and I wrote down every coincidence, and it really is true. The more getting in the practice of writing them down, the more I would notice. And I wouldn't judge them as big or small or ridiculous. I just noticed. And yeah. that was really fun. I even did a blog post that I'll link in the show notes called Calling All Coincidences. <laughs> and <laughs> so good. I wanted readers to submit coincidence stories. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna say, let's resuscitate this post. And after listening to the podcast, if you have coincidence stories, I want to hear them because I find them so delightful. They are, and when that happens, what I often do is I just say out loud, thanks, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I look at the clock a lot when it's my birthday, oh, and I, I, the digital clock, and I, I always think, hey, thanks, everybody. This is my you know, note to wake up here, a little wake-up call in the, during the day. This is when I was born so I could be born again right now. I love you know, it. And, you know, stuff like that. Just you entertain yourself with these things. 
<laughs> yes, I mm-hmm. agree. <laughs> I agree. Penny, thank you so much. This has been absolutely wonderful and fascinating. Where can people find you if they want to keep in touch with your work? Oh, just my website is my name and it's P-E-N-N-E-Y and then P-E-I-R-C-E, pennypierce.com. And lots of information there and my calendar and all that stuff. Perfect. And Penny also does numerology readings. I've had two now, one last year and then one recently, same time this year, and they're they're wonderful. So thank you, Penny. I'm going to link to your books, all your books in the show notes. But for those of you listening who want to check out The Intuitive Way and then Frequency and Leap of Perception, I can't recommend them highly enough. So thank Thanks, you, Penny. Jenny. That was a great flow. <laughs> thank <laughs> really you so fun. much. Thanks for sharing all of your wisdom. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Pivot Podcast. To learn more and get in touch, visit JennyBlake.me, where I blog about systems at the intersection of mind, body, and business. Or find me on Twitter at Jenny underscore Blake. And remember, build first, then your courage will follow. Hasn't it always? <laughs>